Hi, and welcome to a small, medium, at large podcast. I'm your host, Gail Heisen, bringing you intimate stories that heal. I want to thank all you listeners for supporting us, liking, sending in your comments, subscribing, and just, just listening to the different people that we have. We're trying to have a diverse podcast show here with people from all walks of life. So thank you for being here today. Let me tell you about our guest today. We will be talking to Rhonda. Rhonda Grant is a true Renaissance woman. She's the founder and the CEO of Stand Fast Homes and Grants Marple Incorporated. She's an active leader and highly regarded as an award-winning real estate professional. Abruptly, a near-death experience fractured her everyday routine, compelling Rhonda to author her book, Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life. This dynamic exploration of the metaphysical inspires her readers with real life stories of transformation and enlightenment. Rhonda is a talk, a radio talk show host with Contact Talk Radio Network. Her podcast, The Rhonda Grant Show, is part of the Scene Suite Network. And I want to say I was actually honored to be on her show. So this is going to be our second talk together. And today we're going to talk about Rhonda's book, Magical Forces Within, which I just finished and was fantastic. I can't wait for her to talk about it. And we're also going to talk about the special abilities that may have, that many people have and how to recognize them. She'll also maybe share some techniques she has for us or some exercises in spiritual things. So let's welcome Rhonda here today. Hi, Rhonda. Hello, and thank you so much, Gail, for having me on the show. I'm so happy to have you here. I, I have to tell our listeners, we actually met because you were watching one of our podcasts with an interview with Dean Radin. And so you found out a way to connect to me, and that's how we found each other. And when I was a guest on your show, all I kept feeling this whole time was, we seem to have a lot in common. But then when I finished your book, I was like, oh my God, how could two people have so many similar things in life? So I feel like we have a lot to talk about and I'll try not to share too many of my own stories and just let you talk. So I'd like to start off with your childhood beginning and whether there was any influence in your life as a young girl that might've affected you to research the kinds of things you're doing now in spirituality. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's, that's uh, interesting. Nobody has ever asked me that, Gail. And so when my, um, when I was 18 months old, my father was electrocuted. Um, mm. And so he was killed, he was working with an electrician on a job. And it was the way the wires touched, um, uh, live wires touched. It, the, the power wasn't uh, turned off and uh, it was just an error uh, that was made at that time and it was many many years ago and he had a it's sort of like a steel uh, thing on the inside of it, the brim of his uh, hard hat that he had on they did wear hard hats back then and um, he was it was said, um, Joe, who um, was also electrocuted at the same time, him and his boss were electrocuted, fell to the ground. And my dad apparently sat up and said, are you okay, Joe? He said, yes. 
and my dad laid back down and that's when he passed and so his mother uh who is my grandmother was a really big influence in my life um and she told me that story when i was around nine years old but when she told me the story she told me how she received the message that her son my father um had died and she was in her living room she was up on the ladder she was painting uh her living room and she had a feeling come over her that she knew that one of her children had passed but she didn't know which one mm -hmm. and she didn't find out until later which one and when she told me that it was the first time that i was aware that a person could know something in their body or coming to them without somebody actually coming to tell them that something wrong had happened and the, and the next uh, really big thing uh, that she told me was that when my grandfather was ill he was in the hospital and we had come home from the hospital that one night and we had knelt to say our prayers and you know i was up late um i was maybe 12 and i was up till 11 or 12 o'clock at night we just couldn't settle that night and we were praying at kneeling at the bedside praying and talking and talking and praying and we heard a bump um and i became scared and she said charlie's gone and charlie was my grandfather her husband and she knew that he had passed and I asked if I could sleep with her that night. And she said, yes. And I heard the phone ringing in the night. And when I woke, awoke the next morning, she said that he had passed in, in the night. So she had these special abilities that we're actually starting to find out from our, uh, the person that we, we both know is Dean Raiden, Raiden and the studies that he's doing that this maybe and i'm sure that uh, the reports will come out that this isn't a gen is a genetic thing really? that's handed yeah. down I from one generation to another and i'm not sure if it's um uh yeah so i'm not sure if it's you know um maternal or or whatever i'm just not quite sure when um i was working with dean at, at ions I would answer letters of people having these kinds of experiences. Right. And one of the common things that I found was that many people had this, but then they never shared the experience with anyone or told right. the story to another person no. or someone in the family. And it's only later down the road where they realize when they hear talks like, say, the one we're having, mm -hmm. that, that the things that they could share because it seems to me around death is where I see the most experiences when people have say they've never had anything psychic or whatever right. family, that when the, the death comes that's when they may have their first experience of either sensing the spirit of the person who's deceased or seeing them at the edge of their bed or in a doorway mm -hmm. and I think that when people like your grandma and say my grandma told us these types of stories I think that it was sort of laying a seed or groundwork for the future things we were going to have to do. In my case with my grandma, she grew up in Poland and 
everybody had typhoid fever at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember her telling me over and over the story about how her sister died of the typhoid fever and then she got the typhoid fever. But she said, all of a sudden I was above my body and I was looking down and I mm -hmm. thought I was gonna continue going up and up. And the next thing I know, I was dropped back down into my body and I woke up and I didn't die from typhoid like everyone else had. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, only 16 years later after she told me that story, because I was about five or six, when I was 21, I was giving birth to my daughter and I was dying. And I had the exact experience she told me wow. about, though I think it's what made me feel comforted instead of scared. Mm -hmm. so when I was being rushed to the hospital and I was out of my body and I could see everybody in the car and I could see my own body and I could say, everything's fine. It all seems fine. The baby's going to be born, but nothing would come out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching the whole scene happening. And they, the doctor said I was in the woods and then I came back. And I think that because of my grandmother telling me of that possibility, I had no issue with dropping back into the body. So mm -hmm. I think that these things our grandmas share with us young children are really valuable things. And it's sad when some children don't even get to grow up knowing their grandparents and getting to share those life's experiences. But what I have noticed is that in every family, when I've read these letters and things, there's always someone in the family. It's often more a woman I found than a man, but those are the people that I've spoken with and their parent, their grandparent has come and given them information or done it, did it in life. And then again, after in death. Mm -hmm. Every time I was pregnant, when I was pregnant, each time my grandmother would come to me in a dream and she'd throw fish on me and I'd wake <laughs> up and I'd say, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. That's how you knew. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting um, that your grandmother had a situation and then you had a similar situation because I think I talked to you about um, when I was around 12 I had went out to, uh, I was at home with my parents, and I had went out to the, what was the shed at the time uh, to fetch something from the freezer. I think we had a small freezer uh, at the bottom, but on the right-hand side, there was an oil tank uh, with oil in it, and there were stairs down, and at the bottom of the stairs was a steel uh, work saw uh, that was plugged into a wall. And back then, uh, those steel workhorses had a plug that had three prongs on it, but the electricity wasn't up to date. And so you, we only had a two prong to plug it in. So my stepfather bent back that one prong, that third prong, and plugged it into the wall. And my mom kept reminding him, make sure you unplug it, make sure you unplug it. And this one time, he did not unplug it. And I went out to uh, the uh, shed. I put my one hand on the oil tank and the other hand on that steel saw. Oh, and God. I was electrocuting myself and I could not let go. And I, I, I might not have been shaking, but I felt everything was shaking. And I was making a noise for help, however that came out. And my mom opened up the shed door, the door to the shed and said to me, what are you doing? 
And I was so terrified of her asking me that, that I let go and it broke uh, uh. that chain. Um, but interesting enough is when I went back inside, I didn't retrieve whatever I went out there to get. When I went back inside, I could not stop crying. It had affected my heart. And I just kept weeping and weeping and weeping. And it, I had a hard time recovering from that. But isn't that interesting that my father was electrocuted, I had that situation. And you've just told me of your grandmother having a situation and you having a situation. And I really, I find that really curious. And I think that's something you should talk, or we should talk to Dean Raiden about really. I uh, yes. never <laughs> see him before I do. But, um, but I, I find these things interesting enough uh, to tell people, I mean, this is, you know, I didn't put this in the book. Um, I could have, but I mean, you can't put everything in a book. You got to save some stuff. The next book. <laughs> For the next book. Or it doesn't fit. Uh, you know, it just doesn't fit in, you know, in the flow of what you're doing. And so some things just don't make it uh, to the book. Well, I'm, I'm glad we started off from the beginning. Yeah. Because it's nice. You know, I like to have stories that are intimate. So that's why I always like to start with the childhood, because I know there's something in there that mm -hmm. has to do with what we're doing today. Yes. So I'd like to move on to uh, what inspired you to write this, uh, this. I felt like I was, I felt like I said, maybe I should just put my name on there. Like I wrote this book. You know? <laughs> and, and I have written well, a book. That but makes me feel great. I, it just, you, I'm just saying it's very concise and clear and organized. And, uh, and I like the way you divided it up into so many chapters. So that once you stopped covering that particular thing about reincarnation or, you know, um, uh, other lives or any of these different sorts of things. So I want to know what what was the thing? Was it the accident? What was it that brought you to write this this book? You spoke about the, the an accident you had about seven years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was the pivotal moment or if it happened prior to that or what put you on this. That, yeah, that that was. Um... That accident, um, like I was an enlightened being before, but I wouldn't say that I was enlightened to the point where every day um, I wanted to be fed, I wanted to be uh, experience and know more about myself and more about my abilities. But when I was T-boned, it's what happened in that T-bone was that I was hit so hard that I feel, I mean, our souls have a sense of humor, I believe. And it said, I'm, I'm out of here now. Like this is too many times. Like she's been living, she's been dying to live all this time, but I think this is it. And I felt my soul or the spirit of who I was being pulled out up through the crown of my head. Mm. And it, I really thought about that and contemplated about that after the accident. So here's the miracle. I was hit at 90 kilometers an hour or 60 miles an hour, I guess, or 55 miles an hour in, in miles and right on the driver's door. And I did not have a scratch on me. 
I did not have a broken bone, nothing. There was a lot to do about keeping me safe. Um, the firefighters were in my car holding my neck. They it took the jaws of life to get me out of the vehicle and transported to hospital for x-rays and, and all sorts of things. And, and I just, it changed me. It changed how I saw the world. And I think it was the transition of my soul leaving and had to jump back in. I don't remember it jumping back in because there's when you're T-boned, there's moments where you don't exist or you're somewhere else. I, I can't really explain that part of it. But I know that when I came back into my body, I was very different. I felt different. I saw the world differently. I kind of saw the world sometimes as this looking down, sometimes as if I was looking down on myself. And I started writing and I was compelled to write. In the beginning, I didn't know what I was writing. I was just pulling things from my past and I was writing some things down. And, but it happened so often that I realized that I was writing a book and I'd always wanted to write a book. And I thought, this is it. But I knew that early on and had no idea the journey that this book was going to take. And I think when we talk to authors, and you're yourself, you're an author, is that after a while, when you're writing and writing and writing, is that your book kind of takes on its own personality. And also when I wrote, and I, need, I did a lot of research, but when I needed those words or those paragraphs or the filling in that I needed to uh, round out the book, it came to me uh, outside my conscious awareness. And I really had to pull that down, record it immediately because it is an intuition. And I just had to record it immediately because I knew that it wouldn't be there if I wanted to revisit it again, because it's not, it's not coming back. Any of these times that I've had these wise ideas, bright ideas, if I don't write them down, they're lost forever. And I think they just go and court somebody else is what happens. And so that process was really interesting because I observed the process because I had come to an, an enlightening or enlightenment or an awakening that just catapulted me forward. And I was so interested in reading as much as I could. And it didn't really matter what it was. I just could, I had an insatiable appetite for almost everything after the accident. So it sounds, I, 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 I was in a, a couple of car accidents myself and one of them when we went off a cliff I think I was 12 or 13 years old yes. and it was up in a in a uh, ski resort up in upstate New York and they lost control of the car and the only reason I'm alive is because it was a 1957 Chevy Bel Air and those have so much metal in the front that when a tree finally stopped us halfway down the, off the cliff the, the, you know, that, that engine and that body was that, that had been a little Toyota, we would have all been mm -hmm. gone. Mm -hmm. And those days, no, you know, nobody wore seat belts and nobody was, there were no airbags or anything like that. But not one of the six people that were in the vehicle with us could have any memory of that. All they, everyone blanks out, every okay. single person in the vehicle. Do you and, know why that happens? 
Well, I don't know. I have my own opinion why, which is I don't have any factual answers, but my mm-hmm. answer is I feel that in that moment of terror that's happening, mm-hmm. I feel that the soul leaves the body in that moment. And then it jumps back in again after the accident is completed, which is only a matter of, I don't know if it's seconds or half a minute or how long it takes for a car to go down a cliff, but not one person, all everyone remembers is the slide, the go over and that's it. And then everyone's felt like they woke up and that they were in this accident. So I I just think that something about the higher self maybe pulls us away in that moment. I'm just not sure, but that's Mm -hmm. what it feels like to me. I wondered, yeah, what is that? Yeah. But that would be, that's a a good question. What we'd love to have answered where, where and what happens in that moment, because in these, you know, in these small accidents, when you just have a fender bender, nothing like that happens. No. But in these near death ones where you could die, it seems like, it just feels like it just, the soul just leaves and then it returns. That's my feeling. I don't know what the real thing no, is. No, I think that's about. what it felt like to me is that it's like, and that I was aware of it uh, was really interesting that it was leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and I was like, right. oh, okay. <laughs> and you, to, to have survived all of that, uh, that type of an impact, these are, you know, I know we call them accidents, but I know that they're not really accidents. They're life-changing experiences. Life-changing. Yeah, because look what it did for you. It did a life-changing experience for you. And you started searching and doing more and more of what you'd already started doing. But Mm -hmm. something about that accident did something to affect you in a way that Um, I have to laugh because when I'm reading your book and I'm thinking, wait a minute, she's a real estate agent. How could she be a real estate agent? I love it. I'm just saying, yeah, it's just so like uh, the material and the spiritual. It's just so. And then then I thought to myself, wow, that's an amazing combination. It is. And the fact that I'm CEO of two businesses, too, because I'm using um, my right, my right brain and my left brain. And the more I'm doing this, the easier the transition is for me to leave our podcast for for instance mm-hmm. and then and and then go and write some like whatever i'm doing spreadsheets or costing out a job or whatever i'm just able to make that easy transition and it doesn't make sense it doesn't even make sense to me but what i do know is that since that accident i seem to be living a more enriched existence than i did before do you feel that with what well, happened I, to you i feel that with I feel like that with all, like when people, like I've had all kinds of different things in my life that were traumas, joys, things that give you PTSD, et cetera. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm grateful to all of them because mm-hmm. I feel they're what makes me who I am today. And they're the lessons, whatever the lessons were that I was learning, maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure, I'm never sure about the karma and the reincarnation and what did we bring possibly from a last lifetime into this lifetime. Yeah. I just sort of accept everything that comes Mm -hmm. and try not to, you know, like I know that I've had situations that some people can't believe you survive emotionally or mentally after going through them. But my thing is that you go through them and that's where you learn. And that's what makes you more of a a compassionate being because you have had these experiences. 
Some mm-hmm. people feel more personally victimized by the experience and they kind of get stuck and can't move on. Okay. So for me, all those things that had happened to me growing up opened up my psychic more, made me more of who I am, more compassionate mm-hmm. um, by having those kind of you know different experiences. There's something you talk about that I experienced and I was wondering because you're so the way you spoke and I, I listened to your audio book. So I loved listening to your explanations. Oh, thank so you. This was about the idea of knowing. Like when people ask me something, how did I just say, I just know. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that to the audience, about what that feeling is of just knowing. Well, is it, did I speak about uh, a knowingness about yes. things? Yes. Yeah, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's really an interesting aspect. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, intrigues me the most, and, and, and all of this intrigues me, my stories, what I experienced listening to you or anybody who has these, but one of the, one of the behaviors that intrigued me the most was, or is, um, sitting with someone um, and just speaking with them, but they, they have, let's say, a problem or something that they're trying to overcome. And all of a sudden, I get, and some people call it a download, and I don't believe it's a download because it doesn't come down. It just seems to be out there. Mm-hmm. And it's for me or anybody who wants to take hold of that, articulate it, and help that person that's in front of me. And I'm astounded uh, in the comfort that I'm able to give that person, but I'm also able to give them direction and let them know what's going to happen in their life and what they can look forward to. And by golly, it comes true. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a behavior that is, intrigues me the most is, um, is that. And I think it's like a knowingness about somebody. It doesn't happen all the time. It, it just happens randomly. Um, and it's not like you could ask me a question about something in your life and I could tell you the answer because I, I can't do that. It needs to be in a setting uh, where everything is sort of flowing and then all of a sudden and then the person that I'm talking to for some reason doesn't say anything and just listens which is odd that part of it's odd too Um, and so that's the knowingness that I tend to have and but intuition I mean I have lots of intuition and if I followed every single one oh my goodness (laughs) but we don't we don't, we go, oh, I'll remember that, or oh, yes. And then later, I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, you should have, I should have listened, I should have, re- I should have listened, I should have acted, I didn't, now look the mess I'm in, right? <laughs> now look what's happened. <laughs> well, I always say to people, just start listening to your gut. Yes. And what, you know, whether it's a physical feeling of like, yeah. oh, I shouldn't go any further, or a joyous feeling. Oh, I must go right to this ocean right now. Yeah. And I think that the more that you acknowledge that voice from the God or the, for me, it's a voice from wherever, the more stronger and louder the voice becomes. So I think it's kind of quiet at first in some people when they haven't allowed it in them, 
They might have squelched it when they were a child, when people said, oh, no, there's nothing there that you're seeing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, if they just allow themselves each time to follow that little voice, that little voice becomes stronger and stronger. And that voice can protect you by saying later, you're going to be in a car accident. Get ready now. Mm-hmm. And that has saved me a few times now in car accidents where it's moments before it's going to happen. And I see that it's happening. It's going to happen. And I listen and brace and be prepared for what's going to come down. And I feel like those are the kinds of things that are very important for people to be developing. Mm-hmm. Just and it's not it's not like a specific exercise. Just listen to your inner voice. Yeah. And. And I find the more I listen, the more it, it talks to me, the more guidance I have, because there is a part of us that is there to guide us, warn us and protect us. And that's the part that we must listen to. And if we don't, it gets quieter and quieter. And I call that the higher self. I had the no, higher I self. There you yeah, go. I can't figure out another word. So yeah. that's right. There you go. Mm hmm. It's an important, and it's very, very important. I, 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 there's one more thing I want to go into um, before I talk a little bit. Of, before we talk a little bit about uh, uh, some other things in your book, I loved listening to the part in your book about numbers and yes. three, one, four. Yes, Is that correct. And yes, I was wondering if you could share some of that story with you and that. It gave me such validation for how I've been following numbers my whole life. Fantastic. And uh, in fact, there's an article about me when I, I had opened up my own uh, catering business in my early 30s. Mm -hmm. And when I opened it up, I got interviewed about how did you know when you never were a chef or a cook? How did you know how to prepare food for 400 people or 200 people? Or yeah. What did you do? And I said, well, I got to say, I'm not a chef and that all my food preparation has been done by numbers. Oh. <laughs> and I follow my intuition. And, you know, and I said to them, like, I would never use six pounds of onions if I was making a large tomato sauce for a few hundred people. It has to be seven onions, I said, or five onions. Okay. So I said, anytime I cook, no matter what the recipe says, I alter the number to match my number sequences that I like to follow, which are three, five, seven. Okay. So I have nine sometimes also. And I ended up finding out later, like nine is the Mongolian number, which I ended up becoming involved with Mongolians later. And five is the Weechol number. And I'd been involved with the Weechol. So I felt like I'd been following my numbers. And then I met actual, you know, uh, groups of people who that number was very significant for as well. So I loved all your 314 stories. And I know we can't tell all of them now, mm -hmm. but it's people to get an idea that something as simple as feeling like a number is something that's going to give you a message possibly or lead you down a path or let you know yes I should have this apartment mm -hmm. I love your stories about numbers and how you told that so if you could just tell a little right. bit about that well that actually uh was written by my daughter uh Dr. Brittany Grant and mm -hmm. she uh was born on pi which is 314 Oh, so she's the one getting the tattoo. Um, so she was the one who, who got the tattoo. And so, yeah, so she was born on Pi and also um, somebody passed. I can't remember the, the man's name right now. It's going to bother me after the show. But um, And she 
I didn't know she was born on Pi until she came home. She was in grade one or two, and uh, she found out from her teacher that she, her birthday was on on Pi Day, and so then she started to see those numbers. My number has been eleven. Uh, I lived at eleven Coleman Street, and uh, I saw elevens often. I uh, was working downtown on Bay Street in Toronto uh, for a marketing and research firm uh, as a young woman in my 20s. And uh, one of the things that I did was uh, filled out their bank deposit books. Mm -hmm. And I made an error and the error was one. And that error was the difference between $100,000 and $1 million. And so when it was, uh, so the bank caught it, you know, but we had a Christmas um, party and the uh, man, uh, Mr. Goldstein, he gave me a box of ones. And it was ones that you put on a, a house, uh, you know, house numbers and different things. And we just all laughed. I mean, they were so good humored. It wouldn't have mattered what I did. Uh, they just loved me anyway. And um, they just, you know, they just took it all in stride because they, he knew that it would have been, it would have been found out, but one has followed me or 11 has followed me. I, I, I just, you know, some people think it's silly, but I've been doing that most of my life. And I yes. just found that those numbers are very important and I listen and follow them, or I may pick a line that has the five in it or whatever. Yes. So mm -hmm. I think, I think numbers are, are an important thing. Um, I was also wondering, um, there was something you spoke about called vibrational frequency. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could explain to our listeners about vibrational frequency mm -hmm. and how they can possibly change it if they want. Mm -hmm. That's a very, I, I love talking about this. Um, the higher your frequency, and you can raise your vibrational frequency yourself if you're aware that you have a frequency to raise. Mm -hmm. And so I spent most of my life at a certain frequency. If things didn't go right, I would feel down. If things went right, I felt up. But I didn't know that that had to do with a vibrational frequency that was in my body. I didn't know that. I didn't recognize that. But when you start to, and, and this is, you know, this is really interesting, but when you are breathing into your heart and you can feel your heart, the size of your heart mm -hmm. and the love that resides within, which is connected to your soul. And if you can then learn how to be in touch with the essence of yourself down to your cells in your body. And if you can, I'm starting to feel the cells in my body now, because I'm talking about the cells in my body. I mean, that's how easy this can become. Your cells are talking to each other all day long. And if you tune into the cells in your body, you'll feel those cells vibrating. It's not quite unlike when your arm goes to sleep and you get the pins and needles, but it's not like that, but it's kind of something like that to look for. When you are in tuned with your body at that level, you start to realize who and what, what circumstances, what people raise your vibrational frequency 
and those who affect it in a negative way. And when you find that out, you're able to, when you're able to recognize how you're affected by other people, you can actually control your body so that you're not as affected by them. And so I just, it's just a fascinating place to live. You probably live in the same place. I mean, we get together and we are just, our energies coalesce with one another and we have a wonderful time together. We're not giggling and laughing and all this sort of, like it's not that type of thing. It's just that normal paying attention to the inside of your body that nobody's taught you to do. But when you do, you'll recognize that you have more control over how you feel and how others make you feel. And others can make you feel and give you that sense of energy. And I like that. I like being around high energy people because it also helps me raise my energy higher. And so it's the vibrational frequency and we all have control over it. And what about the other direction? Like, is there people that take away your vibrational frequency or lower it or? There used to be people who were able to, because I didn't recognize that I had control over my own, um, like sovereignty over my own self, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I would be around people who were um, not in a good place and it's heavy it's heavy feeling and i come always came from a place of helping people people said i should have been a psychiatrist or psychologist or something like that and i would want to help them but by golly after a while i just i just was exhausted you know and I so a lot of that <laughs> yeah you're just exhausted so how I've changed it is because I'm so in touch, if those people come into my life and I'm able to help them, I help them from a different frequency. I don't help them by uh, uh, any other way really than able to share information that I, some, I somehow have. So instead of them draining you, like it might've been right. in the past, yeah. instead you're able to be there and offer them something and not lose anything of yourself when you do that. Yeah, I don't lose anything of myself. I've learned how to protect myself uh, over this transition from the accident until, until now. Mm -hmm. I've uh, learned how to protect my energy. I've learned how to protect my boundaries. Boundaries are a really big thing. People don't realize that there's a boundary that people cross with you that you mustn't let them cross with you mm -hmm. unless you give them permission. And those who are all over the place, they don't even know that they've crossed a boundary with you. And you don't really have to do anything other than just have that feeling in yourself that you've protected yourself, you've protected your boundary. Uh, some people have different motivations that you might not even realize that they have. You have to protect yourself. You have to protect your energy and those boundaries that are within that energy. I find this such a funny conversation knowing Do that you? you're a yeah. real estate agent or real estate broker or whichever. Yeah. And that I went to real estate school in my 20s. Yes. Got all the way through the testing, did all the schooling, studied all the books. And then while I was in the room where you're doing the final test to pass, it's California, so it's yes. whatever different rules. I looked around the room and at that time, 
I'm not saying that's who you are, and I'm not mm -hmm. saying that where it is and how it is in Canada, but in California, it's a cutthroat, really heavy uh, business to be in, mm -hmm. and everyone comes up with a shiny, happy face, but they're going to stab you in the back. Oh, so <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a very you know, they want that listing or they want to sell it or whatever the thing is. And it's, mm -hmm. I looked around the room and I looked at what I could become. I quit yeah. that minute and just walked out at the end of the test and said, I'm not getting my license because yeah. I can turn into one of these people and I don't want to be that. And you don't want to be that person. Uh -huh. no. And so I think with uh, any job, uh, that that can happen, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, going up the corporate ladder, there's a lot of cutthroat. Right. And I think that, um, you know, with me, uh, I've never had to be that type of person um, and never wanted to be that type of person. Uh, there's money that I just don't need. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And mm -hmm. so if and I come from a place of helping, advising, instructing. I have a lot of knowledge and um, not only in real estate, but in life. I, I've had, I've lived a big life and I, 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 I come from, um, a, you know, uh, a, from that place. I mean, my father, my stepfather is a builder. And so I'm really second generation builder. And so I work with trades. I work with lads all the time. I work with the boys. I showed up this morning. I showed up yesterday morning talking with the trades, the electricians. I love that... building. I don't know yeah. what, you and yeah. I, I don't know what to say here. <laughs> I build houses, but I just build them on my own with, you know, yes. somebody. I'm not a builder in that sense. It's not my yeah. business. Yeah. But I've done a lot of building and it's my most favorite project is building. I just mm -hmm. love you know, to put up a quick house or to do a remodel yeah. or to cut off a piece and add something else. Yeah. Uh, I think that your clients are very, very lucky to have someone like you to guide them when they are purchasing a home mm -hmm. or making an investment for the future because well, you're coming to them with a, uh, you know, from a higher, a higher consciousness place than say some of the California real estate people who were only into whatever they can do for themselves mm -hmm. might not be the right place for another person, but they'd sell it to you anyway. You seem uh, to be with ethics and now you have your intuition and all those other things. So those would guide those people fabulously. Mm -hmm. Well, and a background knowledge in building. And so when, when you're at the high level of your profession, I think that people really appreciate that. And they ask the questions and they get the answers and they refer me. And yeah. I have a team. Yeah. And um, so I haven't, and, and, and I wouldn't have been comfortable with cutthroat uh, type of business either. It's just not my personality. Mm -hmm. um, I'm softer, you know, and more this, giving. Yes. And this is Canada, right? We're in Canada when we're talking about all this. I know. And it's, and Canadians, I mean, well, I mean, there's a lot of different types of people and a lot of different types of professions. And um, I mean, you uh, live with yourself your whole life and mm -hmm. to live with yourself your whole life, you want to be doing a lot of things right. And you're, you know, your reputation precedes you. It's well, I think, I think you're doing a, doing a great job in both of those worlds from your book writing and then your career work. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, the soul. The soul. And, 
the soul and what your discoveries were on your feelings about or definition even of what is the soul? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a mighty big thing, the soul. Mm -hmm. um, when, when I meditate, when I clear my chakras, when I do any of those types of things, I really feel that I'm courting my soul. And when I court my soul, I feel the bigness of it. It's just, it's kind of like you don't realize how big your heart is until you start to reside in your heart. But your soul is huge. It's, it's, it's the energy outside your body as well. And I love taking long walks in the country. I love surrendering to my soul's journey because a lot of people, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too, I interfere with my journey lots of times um, because I have other ideas, right? We all have other ideas and aspirations and all those things. But when I court my soul and I'm really feeling the presence of it like I am right now, um, I really feel in touch with more than just this dimension because this is just an illusion basically that we're living when you look back over your day it, it feels like a dream it looks like a dream if you visualize your life and so to me people recognize that when they meet you they recognize that you're you're more in there's something there about you it's almost like you have a secret when you're in touch at that level do you feel that gail yes because i've had this experience since i'm young of people coming up and telling me something they've never told any other person i know i don't know them i know. <laughs> just met them that second i mean often the person standing next to them says to me I've known them for 30 years and they never told me that. <laughs> but it's almost like you're a magnet. Yeah. And, and people are drawn to you. And I mean, I'm drawn to you. You're drawn to me because Absolutely. we recognize in each other what we are ourselves. And, and, and I think that's, and, and I mean, people want to talk to me all the time and like I don't have time lots of times to like have those conversations with people but they just feel comfortable they feel safe mm -hmm. and they feel that you for some reason are their answer or have their answer is that how you feel well I've had um the what you spoke about in the book which was just follow your heart or you don't know which things are going to happen for you. Right. And I was listening to that and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I never thought I was going to have a podcast. I've oh. always reached and touched people just in the one on, you know, like this, when I see them or I've given talks in front of like maybe a hundred people and I've touched them. And so I've had this experience through the years of being in conferences. And when I do a presentation it's, it's, it's nicely received, but I never thought about doing a podcast mm -hmm. and how many people that would maybe even listen. And I started this in September mm -hmm. and I now have over 800 and almost 860 subscribers. Fantastic. And I have shows that have had a thousand people look at the show. 
And I never thought that this is what I was going to do. And it was only from hiring a woman at this uh, LITM media that I started off with who encouraged me to do this, or I never would have done, I never thought anyone would want to hear anything I had to say, oh. or I didn't figure why would I be interviewing people? Would they really want to be on my show? Right. Just... I know. But and and, all this just happened. Mm -hmm. And this I find is the surrendering part. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people recognize in us what we may not see, because I was also asked to do um, my podcast People see gifts in you that we might, we might not have recognized ourselves. But I think that when we have a gift, it's that's, we need to share that with the world. And this, the, the part of the sharing, I feel that's why, like the whole idea I had for my podcast was sharing stories that heal. There's not, I have nothing to sell. I have nothing to, yeah. you know, anything like this. But if somebody listens to our podcast, together today you and I and they say you know I'm going to try that little bit of meditation or I'm going to yeah. try that little thing oh I yes. have to say I, I just recently for my birthday had a Mongolian shamans come and do ceremony all day here beautiful and it had been three years since because of COVID that anybody had come here to do these sort of things and it's in that gap that I realized how much I was missing by not remembering to pay honor to the tree by not remembering to do ceremony for the animals you know uh, I, i've done different shamanic things helping other people but that's different than when you're doing it not for a person but just for the universe or nature or the sun or whatever thing that you're honoring in your ceremony mm -hmm. and i i you know i have to really get it that if i do not do some of that if i do not do my drumming or my jaw harping or my just getting in touch with spirit, soul, whatever the word is, higher self. Right. That the rest of my life isn't in balance then. Okay. And other things start becoming stressful or this is out of whack or that's out of whack. Mm -hmm. My body doesn't feel as good. For me as a person, I have to feed my soul and spirit with oh, those yes. things. Oh, yes. And I've, if it, you know, and if I don't do that, when it something smacks you to make sure to wake you up to get I there, know. So, I know. So I, anyway, so it's during COVID that I realized the importance so much of the gathering with others, of, you know, because you can do things alone, mm -hmm. but having ceremony with other people and yeah. be there and, 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 you know, and, and, and we had two different cultures at this. We had Wechol and Mongolian. Mm -hmm. And there's something very important about sharing all these things with all these other cultures. And that, you know, that some of us, you know, my father always said that when you have these gifts, you never attach money to any of those. Mm -hmm. And he told me that since I was 10 or whatever. So none of my things have anything to do with trying to earn money for doing any kind of blessings or things like right. this but I have to do those things because it's important for my spiritual growth oh yeah there 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 you have it right there it's your spiritual growth and you know when I look back on my journey all the things that happened really great things happened really horrible things happened right um my journey got me here today, sitting in my office in Canada, talking to you, Gail, in California that I never would have brushed shoulders with in a million years. 
You know, why is that? And I'm just thankful, grateful all the time for that I get to do this. I get to live my life as Rhonda Grant and be enriched by so many people that I've met. And, and I think the car accident, that last accident that I had, because I've had many odd accidents and all of them sort of was a little waking up, waking up, waking up. And then I really woke up. I saw everything differently. And the more I saw, the more I wanted to know, the more I know, knew, the more I wanted to know. And it just kept on snowballing. And here I am, an author. I, my life has just opened right up since then. It's, it's well, a miracle. It's almost like a miracle happened. It, it, it's, it's all a very wonderful thing. And by sharing your story in your, in, in your book, it's makes things for make it makes for people like me to say, oh wow, here's somebody who's had almost similar things happen in their life, crazy and similar experiences, and I'm finding so many people that I'm having on these shows that we do have certain things in common, mm -hmm. and um, I'm I'm looking forward to see what Dean discovers in the the genome thing. Or oh the yes, the genetics of what goes on in that maybe there Genetic, yeah. is some sort of hereditary something that you know I, I know the things that happen to me are real they're not fake or made up or any mm -hmm. of these kind of things but there's some people who view those things and think that oh they just made it up or they just this or they just that when well, I read stories like yours everything's showing exactly how it led up to these things there's, mm -hmm. not, there's, not, there's nothing out of thin air that just happened right you were down a path and, you know, I never talked about any of that type of stuff to anybody. I kept all of that stuff to myself. Oh. And when I started writing and I realized I was going to write a book, I was actually going to write under a pen name so that I could still be in disguise and nobody would need, have to know that I had these special abilities because I didn't want people to think I could read their minds because I can't read people's minds. And I, I'm not a clairvoyant. I don't know things about people before they tell me. Um, I know sometimes direction to give to somebody, but I don't know what, um, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, like a clairvoyant would know. I don't know those mm -hmm. things. When it came time to release my book, I did have the courage at that time, but all the way along, I was really worried. I was actually, I wasn't scared. I was concerned if people would think about me differently because I had these abilities. And of course they do, why wouldn't they? You can't take something like that. I can't take my book and hide it. Like after they've read it, they've read it. <laughs> and they know me at a deeper level. And I am a very private person. And I released a book that sort of told all. And it was scary for me. And people don't realize that it does take a lot of bravery to share your gifts with the world. Because a lot of people aren't going to receive them the way you thought they did. And people are just going to welcome you with open arms and like, thank goodness, I have this too. And now I feel brave enough that I can say I get intuitions, I have downloads or whatever it is. And then they get to be who they are. Um, because when you 
remove the curtain or the cloak this is the true essence of who you are it's not like you weren't that person before you were but you just kept it to yourself but now to me i've let the world see who i am you're out and of the closet i'm out of the closet gail <laughs> i know i feel like i'm coming out of the same closet with you yeah <laughs> i know that's because how you feel you know, it's one thing with your family and they see you doing all the things and they make fun of you all. You know, like my kids make fun of me all the time. They're adults, but they make fun of anything yeah. I do. But then when I found this whole other community, I have I, I find I can have people who aren't making fun of me. <laughs> yeah. And they and yeah, they're not making fun of you and they enjoy it and they want to know because they want to know if their experience is the same or syncs up with your experience. And it just goes on and on. And I think that, you know, I just really feel that I'm enriched um, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, and I really felt I was called to do the work that I did uh, with my book. Mm -hmm. Those stories just came back to me as if I was living them again. And the more I took a look back over my life, the more I saw all the things that happened that is shareable and and what's better than a great story i you know i wrote this 350 page manuscript because my whole life people used to say oh you should write a book you you know and i always figured they were only saying that because my stories were outrageous but they didn't really mean it but when i came out of dean and russell's office and they said you should write a book after they first interviewed yes. me to work with them back in 1998 i actually sat and wrote this whole book and then I kind of worked on it for a few years and then I just kind of shelved it. And now I've brought it back out again. Yes, good, excellent. And I, the whole point of the book was that I was hoping that if someone read the stories of the things that went on in my life and how they affected me, maybe they would go speak to someone that they had taken out of their life because they had a fight or they had some sort. So my idea was that, and it seemed like a tall order, but I was kind of hoping if you read the book, the persons would then like forgive someone and be able to heal a relationship. Exactly. But, um, the process of whether it's to self-publish and then finding publishers and all those things, I didn't have the, whatever, the drive. Well, and that use, that's difficult because you're using the other part of your brain and, and it, it is difficult. Um, artists, um, are live in a very different space. I would love to live in my artist brain all of the time because I'm more, I'm comfortable there. I'm more creative there and, and all of those things. But there's that other part that draws me and I feel exhilarated when I go to a project or uh, work with people because I love people. I love being around people. And the more, you know, when you're first a real estate agent or you're building a house, you have lots to say, you've got lots to share, but people don't want to hear that. And the more I'm in real estate, the more I don't say anything. I'm just um, a guide and I'm there to answer their questions and to protect them, of course, because, you know, that's what we do is protect people because they're spending a lot of money. Um, but uh, it's just a nice place to be when you can go back and forth and also even better when you can incorporate that this the part that I have the part that you have 
into other things in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Because the people that you're going to meet in your publishing process is going to be so valuable. And the that journey and that path is very, very interesting. You learn an awful lot and you learn a lot about yourself too. And, and yes. I think that's what life's about. Writing it was a healing for me. It was oh, very yes. healing to write that. Oh yes. But, um, uh, but the idea of it's, I guess it's sort of the thing of feeling like you're selling your own life or something, you know, like if it was oh. someone else, I could represent them very well. I'm a very salesperson. <laughs> yes. Oh, but I know. Myself, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's how I was is, um, is I, I, I wondered if I could do it mm -hmm. and I wanted to go under a different name. Probably I talked to my, um, uh, the person who was looking after my project and when it came right down to it, I didn't want to. I wanted, I really uh, felt that uh, I needed to own this. This was mine. And uh, this was my stories. And uh, I've had a heck of a time uh, in my life. And they are teaching stories. And I would have given anything to have this book in my 20s when I was having all of these uh, sensations and feelings. And I wasn't grounded enough uh to um to work with them properly i didn't know anybody who had these abilities and they're really scary i had some really scary um situations that i i asked for it to be taken away because i i wasn't grounded enough i i didn't hadn't hadn't enough life experiences mm -hmm. and then when i became more grounded i asked for them them back and they did come back um, but it wasn't until my last accident that it really opened up for me. And I was able to accept them, work with them, and teach from that place, you know? And that's what I was thinking when I wrote the book, is that I wanted other people who may be living in a resort um, area uh, that doesn't have access to a lot of uh, other people in order to share their experiences and get that groundedness that this is okay. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the reason that I also wanted to own that material. Mm -hmm. So it was a way of owning your gifts by being able to own the book at the same time, instead of doing it under another name. Yes. Beautifully put. Yes. Thank you. So mm -hmm. We're at our hour, and this is what I always like to. Yeah. We're not, you know, I find people's attention spans an hour seems like the right amount for a show, mm -hmm. but I never am locked into it because this is where I like to ask. Oh, there was one thing I wanted to mention. I wanted to talk just a tiny little bit about um, uh, death and the white light. And I just wanted to share a quick story about that. Yes. But it just happened. I just, my Aunt Rosie, who is, I think she's close to 90. I'm not sure. I think she's 89 and it'll be 90, maybe. Wow. Anyway, she's up there. And she's, I feel like my, of all my family members, she's my biological clone where I look, you know, I feel like our bodies are yes. similar or whatever. Yeah. And so we almost lost her these last couple, last couple, she just got home, I think about a week ago but it was a tough couple of weeks. And whenever anyone in my family or someone I know is going through illness or maybe can die or any of these things, I always light candles at an altar continually. 
And I feel that I like to honor that person and that I feel through my candles, I'm sending them prayers of love and healing. And it's not that you're going to heal the person of whatever their illness is, but that you're making them some sort of comfort. Oh, yes. An invisible level. Oh, yes. Spiritual level. Yes. So my Aunt Rosy just got back from the, after being in the hospital, and I spoke to her two days ago because she received my when you get home care package of banana nut bread and jelly and nice. all the things for her that she could eat now that everything is over. And she talked to me about her death experience because she flatlined and she was, they stopped her heart. Her heart had stopped mm-hmm. and she was clinically dead. And I wanted to speak to her and she said, I have to tell you, she said, there was all this white light everywhere. And she said, I couldn't understand. And in my mind, I'm saying, I'm dead. Why are you trying to put more tubes and things into me? Oh, yes. And then she said, after that, all of a sudden she came back and she was not dead anymore, Mm -hmm. but she had experienced this white light. And I said to her, and she said she was thinking, should she go through the light or something like that? She said, mm-hmm. what's with the light? And I had two other people in close to death and one who passed on who shared with them because they died consciously. And she, the mother shared it with the daughter and the daughter shared it with us and said, please share this with anyone you know, which is the mother said, don't go towards the light as the mother was dying. She said, Go through the light. Don't get involved in looking at the light, looking at the light. In the moment of death, when you see all that, don't get standing there. She says, just go like, and she used her hands like this to go. Oh, yeah. Through the light. (laughs) Just go. (laughs) Yes. So I've I've been sharing her story because I feel like that came from a person who did die a few minutes after that and shared that with her daughter to tell her to tell people. Right. And I felt it was very important with my Aunt Rosie that I said to her and for anyone else who's had this is that people like you and I and my Aunt Rosie, people who have had this near death type of experience, Mm -hmm. it's like a preparation so that when the time comes that we are faced at that moment of death, we don't have as much fear because we've already had some of the experience. Yes. And it's important to you know, like share it with your family, tell them what you experienced, that you came back. It's, you know, I feel like my Aunt Rosie, whenever her time does come, and I hope she lives to a hundred and something, yes, that she will have already had this moment of seeing the light and feeling that, wait, I'm dead now. What's, why are the people doing this? Yeah. She will know and feel more, you know, like it's not a first time experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the other pluses of these things that happen to us that become trauma or frightening. They're actually wonderful teachers to prepare us because we're all going to die. I don't know anyone who's skipped that plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, our soul, our soul, our spirit. Uh, I mean, our well, body is going to die. Our, our body's going to die and our yes. spirit um, will evolve or like depending on the lessons that we've learned here in life will depend on how quickly I guess we come back, who we come back to. I mean, um, many lives, many masters, Brian Weiss, 
uh, he, I don't know if you've read that book or not, but uh, he, uh, I think he's a clinical psychologist and he was uh, talking with a patient and uh, he just kept on going, well, when was the, when was the first, when was the time before that? When was the time before that? And then he ended up going back through her lives. And I think she had 86 lives or something. And then they, they stopped. Um, and I remember talking with someone and, and I said, I think, I said, I think I've been here before. And I've got a, a story in my book about that. Uh, and she goes, you've been here hundreds of times. And I, it never occurred to me. But of course, like, look at how long we've been on this earth. And so I, I, yeah, my understanding is that we come back as an evolved, more evolved soul. And I think that the more challenges that we have in our lives may be part of that getting us on the course that we need to be on in order to share our gifts with others. I'm not sure, it, you know, it, the jury's out, I think, mm -hmm. on it. Well. I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and also having this talk with you is yeah. making me feel a little more comfortable about saying, okay, well, I, I am like this. I mean, I just really enjoying our visit together today. Mm -hmm. So is there anything you Love want it. to tell the audience, any particular exercise or thing before we sign off that might help them if they're just beginning with these kind of things. I'm definitely suggesting they either listen to your audio book or purchase the book themselves. Yeah. I know there's exercises in the back of the book that I did not get to because I only got to read the book, but you do have um, uh, some meditations about coming home, magic within the soul. So there are things there for the people to be able mm -hmm. to experiment with themselves. So if there's anything else you want to share about that before we close. Yes, and I thank you, Gail. It's just wonderful. I mean, I think we could talk for a very long time about a lot of different aspects of our, our journeys. Um, my favorite uh, meditation in the book is the soul and how to court your soul and how to, it's a, it's a breathing exercise. I am... Um, um, a, call, a friend of mine and well he's become a friend but he's a fantastic musician he composed the music to um, the uh, part of the meditation in the book called the soul and and it's a breathing exercise and it's breathing into your heart because I think that once we make that journey to our heart we're making our journey to our soul and when we connect our physical being with our spiritual being, we will be unstoppable as a human race. Uh, it's going, it's not only going to heal us, it's going to heal our relationships around us, it's going to heal others, and people are going to love you more because you, and I, I said this not too long ago in a podcast is, I began to live when I fell in love with myself. I fell in love with my heart. I fell in love with my soul's journey. And I think that if we all could do that as a human race, it is just miraculous things would happen. That's so beautiful. Thank, thank you, you so much. I want to thank all our listeners today for being here with us. Rhonda's information will be in our description. You'll find her contacts, website, and information there. 
we really look forward to seeing you again. I don't Thank think you. this is our last discussion. I think we have more to talk about. I can yes. come back on your show. You can come back on mine. <laughs> exactly. And just keep listening. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, it's been such a pleasure uh, being on the other side of the mic, trading the mic with you. Uh, and I've loved it just as much as I loved having you on my show, Gail. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you sought me out and we found each other because I yes. only think more positive things will come from this. So I listeners, I want to thank you for listening. And I want to thank my family for taking care of my podcast and launching it and doing all these different things, producing it. So thank you to my daughter, Nancy. Thank you to my husband, David. Thank you to my son, Rich. You all do a great job. And I really appreciate you being That's there for wonderful. me so that I can share all these stories that I know you're tired of hearing, but the rest of the world hasn't heard yet. <laughs> Have a wonderful week and we'll see you again in two weeks. Have a great time. Bye. Bye.